welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. I saw there was a leak, actually, that Catalina might be coming out like next Friday. I thought that's a bit odd. Yeah, I saw something about that. Um, that could be interesting. That would be a timing thing, surely. Yeah, I mean, my, my instant kind of thought on it was, well, no, because don't they usually have the October event, and then they say, oh, and by the way, Catalina's coming out this Friday, you know, if the event's on a Tuesday or something. Yeah. Um, so that made me think, well, does that mean we're not getting an October event? And surely not. Surely there will be an October event. Um, mm. <laughs> I, put, I put a poll out on Twitter, on, yeah. the, on the Twitter account, and yeah, the resounding opinion was, yes, there will be an October event, which I think is fair, because what have we got? Probably probably 10th gen Intel CPUs going into MacBook Pro 13-inch, possibly MacBook Airs as well. Um, obviously, this kind of rumoured 16-inch thing, presumably yep. iPad Pros potentially to those and probably a sort of a reminder that the Mac Pro exists yep I mean that to me yeah. is like that's an, that's an hour and 20 easy for an event if not more yeah um, by the time they probably hammer home services one last time just to make sure we're absolutely aware that Apple TV plus is a thing and you know goodness knows what other services they're going to try and sell us It'd give us another give them another chance to bump it wouldn't it um, and yeah and keep that message up so I could see that that being a thing throw in a retail update and we're more or less at a uh, a full event sort of time yeah. scale i would have said i think the debatable is whether it's october or early november and what the timing of that would be yeah i think yeah it was like halloween or something last year wasn't it just before just before so, yeah yeah i'm i'm just living in hope really I just, <laughs> I, just, I just want this to be over now <laughs> i'm just like waiting around i keep seeing like the 15 inch go on like various deals and i'm like should i should i should i and yeah like i said last week i can't i need to just wait it out and i will yeah um, in the meantime i've got the raspberry pi to keep me occupied so that's fine <laughs> just kind of geeking around with that get uh, some new geekery on the go with with all of that oh i've got hard drive issues with the raspberry pi it's um, stressing me out yeah um long story short i've got two three terabyte three and a half inch drives yeah uh, so i've got some enclosures they're like these dynamo enclosures uh that are powered so one usb comes out of the enclosure and also you've got you know like a, a power input as well which is fine um when i put the drive under load on the raspberry pi so say if i just want to like format the drive or if i want to I managed to get it formatted once then I thought great I'll copy a big file to it and then like two seconds in it just kind of died and then the Raspberry Pi disconnected it Okay, so I was like okay that's odd Um, is it the drive is it the enclosure started reading around and some people said oh you need a powered USB hub in between the Raspberry Pi and the drive Yep. and initially I was like well okay that's fine but then my enclosure is powered anyway but then I thought well they're kind of handy things to have in general, and I kind of need one. And as luck would have it, one went on discount on Amazon, so I picked it up at a bit of a steal. So that mm-hmm. turned up on Saturday, and it hasn't worked. Oh, no. Okay. The next layer to this is is that the two three-terabyte drives, initially they started out as two um, of the Seagate three-terabyte ones, but a couple of years ago one of them died, so I swapped it out for a Western Digital Red now, the Western Digital Red is formatted 
foolishly, I would say now in hindsight, in APFS. Yeah. And it's got all my stuff on it. So I can't really, that one can't touch the Raspberry Pi really because A, the Raspberry Pi can't read it. And to format, you know, to convert it into a format that it could read it, I'd obviously lose all my data in the process. Yes. Um, so the one I'm playing with and the one that isn't working is the the Seagate. And given that one of the Seagates already died on me anyway, now I'm thinking, well, is it is it the drive in there that's getting a bit flaky? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Mm. Um, but what I could swap out, obviously I've got two identical Dynamode enclosures. So I thought I'll just rule that out, swapped over the uh, enclosures, and yeah, still, still the same issue. Still getting the issue. So I'm at a bit of a loss, really. Okay. Um, um, part of me is like, do I just buy a bus-powered USB two and a half inch sort of four terabyte drive for about eighty quid and call it done? Because that mm. probably would work. Then I'm bypassing all of this light enclosure nonsense. Just yeah. plug one of those straight into my powered hub, and then done. Hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. Like your risk there is that you do all that and it's still kind of doesn't work. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. It's like, oh no, like dump eighty quid on on an external drive and then still be left in the same position. I have yeah. tried just a plain old USB stick. Okay. And that works like a charm. Right, and obviously that is bus powered at that yeah. point. Yeah. Right. I, I'd i be interested to see... Because are you using Raspbian yes. with this? Yeah. Um, yeah, Raspbian Lite, so it's kind of headless. Yeah. Because I, I don't need the desktop, and I didn't really want it there, wearing away, running a desktop the whole time unnecessarily. Yeah. If you've got a spare um, SD card, then I'd be interested in trying to have a look at, um, at just putting another OS on there. Um, whether that's put the regular Raspbian on the full version um, and then just take a poke around and sort of look at some of the utility apps and then have a look at the, how the drives are showing up. That could be interesting. Um, might reveal one or two things in how it's talking to them. Uh, the other angle would be to maybe just try a different distribution um, and, and maybe look for one that might might be more... Um, up to date's the wrong word because Raspbian is probably reasonably up to date. Um, but I'm thinking if Arch Linux is a thing, then I'd be, be having a look at that. It's been a long while since I've been playing with Linux in general. Uh, but the issue is, is obviously that it needs to be Linux that's compiled for ARM, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So that kind of limits your options quite rapidly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, there is a version of Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, they call it. Yeah. But I don't think that's been compiled yet for the Raspberry Pi 4 CPU. It works on the 2 and the 3, but not the 4. And then mm-hmm. there's hacks and stuff that you can do, but I'm not going down that road. I don't just have the time to fall into that trap, really. Yeah. Um, I have tried Raspbian with the desktop and had the same issue. I'll say okay. that much. Um, interestingly, when I plug the hard drive into my MacBook in either enclosure, so the Seagate 3 terabyte in either enclosure, mm-hmm. I can't get it to show up in disk utility. That speaks to something else going on then. I mean, I've formatted it in um, ext4, which is kind of like Linux's file system. Yeah, you should still see the... Um, you should still see it though, The right? drive, yeah. You just won't yeah. be able to mount the, the partitions. Yeah, so you'd have to like format it again in yeah. disk utility to make it work, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I think there's something going on that's a bit yeah, odd. That feels like the driver's is on its way out. I, I would suggest at that point. I did. I did get it to appear a couple of times, like a couple of weeks ago, and it does appear every time I plug it into the Raspberry Pi until yeah. you try to do anything with it. Like yeah. it'll appear in like Dev slash SDA one. It comes up as. Are you always using the same cable to connect everything? Uh, like to connect the drive itself to sort of any part of the chain, like whether that's the drive into the hub or the drive into the Pi. Yeah, I mean, there is a cable that I'm using to connect the Pi to the enclosure. Yeah. And even yeah. though I swapped the enclosures, I've kept the same cable. I would, I'd try a different cable. It sounds really, really silly, um, but I've had an issue with, with one of my drive enclosures where if I use a particular cable with it, it messes right up. Um, that that cable itself it, it shows the connection with it, um, but then similar to your problem, the disc kind of times out. Um, so I've I've had it before where I've been using the disc files have been copying and it just sort of it goes. I guess it's got a loose connection in the the cable or something like that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I kind of avoided changing the cable over because the other enclosure is in a different. Uh, in a different place and I've kind of rooted the cable with cable ties and stuff so that's mm-hmm. kind of my, my laziness prevailed there and I thought oh it's just the cable but now you mention it it might be worth sort of decoupling that from the uh, from the Luma cables in there yeah yeah and, and if you've got a, a different like you know everybody's got a drawer full of cables they've not used and I'm using got... the same power supply as well thinking about it yeah so I'll swap the cable and the power supply yeah I would go for it being the cable though if if um if it's anything um just just based on like, the experience I've had with with my one hmm yeah that's an yeah. interesting point all right I'll do that and I'll report back <laughs> this could be like our first official item of follow up couldn't it <laughs> it could be yeah um bit of raspberry pi tech tech support yeah i do, I do love it though i i i just i've had loads of fun with it just like SSH and into it and trying to configure it. Um, I had a thing where my uh, Apache installation fell over today because um, I installed Apache and you know PHP MySQL on it and it yep. all worked great. And I went to restart it and it's the first time I restarted it since installing all of that and then Apache wouldn't load. So I was like, oh, damn oh. it. Turns out I've been running Pi-hole, which is like a... a sort of an ad blocker I've been experimenting with. I'm not sure yep. I'm going to keep using it because it's causing some problems actually. Um, but it turns out for its own sort of admin panel, it installs what they call um, light HTTPD, which is sort of like a you know, lightweight kind of web server. And yep. that was jumping onto port 80 before Apache would. And blocking it. And blocking it. Yeah. So yeah, sort of an hour and a half of head scratching today. And yeah, that one there. Uh, got resolved you put put one or the other on uh on a different port yeah so i uninstalled pi hole and yep. yeah every time you reboot it now apache loads straight away which is cool so yeah it's um it's good fun i feel like i'm learning a lot I, in the back of my mind i kind of feel like well i'm just wasting time fiddling around with this raspberry pi i mean we, we spoke about gui versus command line many 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 episodes ago yeah and i think i came down pretty heavily in favor of the gui Yes, you did, yeah. Just kind of being like, like, why would you use the command line when you can just press a button? Um, and I think that opinion came from a, a place where, you know, just like a lack of knowledge. I don't know, if every time I hear people say, oh, you know, 
get yourself a server at Linode or do this on the command line. I'm kind of like a little part of me is like, oh, no, that sounds hard and something I'll probably end up messing up, you know? Yeah. Um, Whereas I feel like now I'm starting to kind of get reasonably good at it. I mean, even with the Mac, rarely, rarely do I do anything in the command line. Not, yeah, I don't do hardly anything with the command line except SSHing into this Raspberry Pi now. But I don't know, it just kind of feels like another another string to your bow, um, one that I've never really had. So while it kind of does feel like, oh, I'm just faffing around with this silly little computer that's the size of a credit card for a bit of fun, I kind of feel like it's going to pay off in other ways as well. So I'm, I'm going to keep at it. It's, it's a lot of fun for one that's thing. Cool. And also it's kind of a good learning exercise as well. Yeah, because I, I could see that in terms of like the sort of software that you're looking to build, um, once you're sort of back on the road with uh, with a Mac that's able to sort of handle Swift UI development a bit better and that side of things. That um, yeah. with your project um, for Readlist, that's going to have a, a small server component, uh, which I guess could grow into a much bigger server side component over time. And I think kind of these skills that you're developing now are probably going to feed into that. You know, just in terms of being able to configure a Linode instance or something like that. You know, anything that, that that requires you to drop into the command line, uh, if you've been living in the command line a little bit um, over the last last couple of months here and there with the Pi um, ahead of that, then it's, it's going to pay off at that point, just, just having that experience. Yeah, and it kind of feels like it's a skill that's not massively going to go out of date. Yes. You know, this, could, this could serve me well for the rest of my career. Yes. Um rather than sort of like a, a JavaScript framework that comes and goes, you know. Um, <laughs> this this stuff's been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a long time. Exactly. Um, and I kind of feel like, why haven't I really gotten into it sooner? That's kind of my feeling at the moment. Um, but honestly, there's been no need. There's been no need, really, other than just sort of scratching some kind of, like, geeky itch. There's really been no need for me to go into the command line at all. And I think that's cool, right? I think it's cool that the um, there's a obviously you can get a lot done without having to go into the command line and that's awesome for for people sort of just getting started as well like you know in terms of having access to to everything you need um but i think equally it's it's cool to then be able to go there and like you say you're you're picking up how that works and these are skills that are going to sort of keep paying you back over time Uh, i think it's good that there's that sort of range in software uh, if I think back to when I started playing with Linux and you sort of made the point a minute ago of, of it would sort of keep paying you back through your career because this sort of stuff sticks around for ages. Um, I started playing with Linux uh, 2006, I think it was. Um, yeah, this is going to perhaps not sound... Um, that great but it was actually when um when my first son was born um sort of during um paternity leave when when baby was asleep i started playing around just for the sheer hell of it with um installing ubuntu kind of fast forward a little bit i carried on playing with with that on and off um at that time um for probably about 18 months, two years, just kind of having a bit of a hack. I was using Windows otherwise at the time. 
Mm. Um, and I can kind of trace a direct line from that to to the now sort of using Mac OS uh, because eventually I got fed up with Windows um, after using Linux for quite a while. Um, and then I got fed up with Linux because it didn't have the range of and quality of software um, that I wanted to sort of do video editing and that kind of stuff at the time. Um, and then that led to me getting a Mac, which then eventually led to me doing iOS development. So, yeah, I can sort of trace a bit of a line kind of from that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I about the same time, 2005 or six, I first installed Ubuntu, I think it was, or... It may have even been Fedora. Yep. Um, and I got it all installed, and then I was like, well, what do I do? Other yep. than hit the web browser, which I think was Firefox that came with it. Yep. And then you find out that Flash doesn't work, because that was a thing at the time. Yeah. I, I, I think at that time I didn't really have any purpose to be using it. Yeah. Um, I, I had friends that were sort of further along in their journey with computing, older than me at the time, um and yeah they were like yeah linux 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 i was like right i need to get on this linux thing and i got it installed and i was like well this 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 is no fun yeah what do i do now yeah what what do i do and i was like well i guess i'll reinstall windows and then that was that really i never never (laughs) really went back until like now i see it has a purpose obviously kind of as as a server that kind of thing but yeah yeah at the time i was like well i just want to play games on my pc really and that, that was about that uh, I, I was trying desperately to run um, to run visual software. So at the time, I wanted to be able to perform using a free operating system and perform live video mixing um, using all of that. And yeah, haha! I don't need Windows. I can do all this without it. <laughs> uh, the fact was, it was possible, and I guess it still is. But the software that existed at the time uh, just wasn't really that good. I ended up in this situation where I had like a, a laptop that was running um, like a client piece of software to then control a, a um, headless. Well, it was head. It wasn't headless. It was headless in terms of not having the, the the main operating system, but the head, if you like, was going straight out as video to the projectors, and it had this server software that that my laptop was controlling to trigger video um, and, and add effects and that sort of stuff. Um, the problem being is that you had no immediate feedback of what was playing on the server until it was coming out on the main screen. Where it, <laughs> whereas normally with a piece of software like that, if it's all on the same machine, you can see what your different layers of video are doing and that sort of stuff, right? Cause that could be problematic. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, and then various other issues where sometimes the client would disconnect from the server because it was all going over a, a local network and it just wasn't the best. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I did a, a couple of, of gigs with that, that kind of patched together setup um, before realizing that I could just kind of do everything off of the one because um, I had a shuttle PC. And that was oh, the, main, the main, yeah, it's a fantastic little thing. And I had that, um, and that was running the main sort of server. Um, and I realized that actually that with a very small monitor um, and, a, and a, a keyboard and mouse sort of wired up to it was actually much better than the other setup. Um, and just run win- I just ran Windows with um, some VJ software on that and, and everything just worked. Was, fine. Okay. This is a bit silly, really. This, this just needs to be my setup now. 
fast forwards a few years though and um, I'm able to now do all this off an iPad with the software that I've made uh, with, with GoVJ so that's crazy isn't it yeah yeah just rock up with a small slab of glass plug everything in and off I go I think we spoke last week about I, I was sort of looking at ideas to to boost the profile of GoVJ um, and kind of market it a little better in terms of app store optimization and that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that I'm doing is I've set up a landing page on the main website uh, to kind of articulate what I'm up to with um, version 2.0. Uh, so I've got a, a landing page now on, on GoVJ.tech that is all about GoVJ 2.0. Um, it's quite light on detail because uh, I, I don't really know how far to go until I've got stuff to show. But I've got, I've got kind of a, a screenshot of the new design, um, a little bit of detail about me, some mm. detail about some of the prospective features and... Uh, I've signposted the existing version as well, um, along with a uh, an email subscription sign-up, which is kind of the, the thing that I'm hoping people do. And so what that's going to do for me is I'm going to put out a, an update to the existing version of the app in the next week. And that's going to, when, when you load up the app, assuming you've, you've either... Um, just updated or you've just bought it it's going to pop up with um, some sort of modal um, alert to the user probably not an alert but something prettier um, to just signpost that hey version 2.0 is in development would you like to find out more Um, and the user will then be able to click out of the app and and, um, launch um, a browser straight to go vj.tech so they can read this landing page cool uh, Do you think that'll get through app review? Uh, I think so. I think just providing a bit of, of info and then there's a clickable link in there as a matter of course or a, or an OK button to kind of leave it alone. Yeah. Or cancel out. I think that should be OK. Um, we'll find out. I'm, I'm, yeah, you just never know, do you, I guess? Nah, no, I'm, I'm happy enough to just sort of see how this goes. Um, and I'm going to update other parts of the app like there's um there's a setting screen where i can put another kind of signpost out to this as well um but the point is is that i want to tell people that this is something i'm doing um and that existing uh customers who've bought the app will get this as a free upgrade um and that if people are interested they can kind of come and have a look at the site and reach out to me and and all of that side of stuff because what i really want is i want feedback from existing users and potential users um, just in terms of what do they want, what would they like to see, um, what what features are important to them, and and this site will enable me to have that conversation a bit better. I, I'm actually going to be able to take this and um, and kind of approach people on uh, the Facebook groups that sort of exist for for visualists, um, and potentially even Reddit as well and places like that. Whereas if I just kind of rock up with the existing site and a link to the app store and say, hey, I'm also kind of working on version two of this, it kind of looks like I'm just trying to get people to buy version one, which is not quite accurate. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it hopefully enables me to have a better conversation while I'm kind of in this um, middle bit of development. 
um, where I, I kind of want to get that that feedback from potential customers um, before I've kind of finished everything up. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's it's been a, a process of putting my head back into web development this week. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Still sends shudders down my spine. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's your... Uh, your previous past before iOS development there. Yeah. <laughs> what, out of interest, what are you using to do the site with? Using like Bootstrap or something? Yeah, so it's a Bootstrap um, template that I found. Um, and um, so it's a, a free and open tem- template from a group of people, a company called BlackRock Digital. Um, they've got a GitHub page and a load of different um, demonstration sites. And I took one of those and kind of just customized it out. And I'm, I'm just editing in a, a text editor called Brackets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Brackets. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I quite like that. I can put the CSS on one side and put the um, HTML on the other. Um, and I've literally just taken that that template and then edited out the colors and, um, and the different sections. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Brackets. That's... um. I used to like brackets. I think the only thing I had with it was that it wasn't compiled. No, it's Java's JavaScript yeah, looking at this. Yeah. Things. So I think there was like a certain workflow I had back in my old job um, where it loaded up a file that had so many X thousands of lines in it and it would always yep. cause it a problem. Yeah, I can imagine. I've seen it creak when I... Because you can open up a folder in brackets and it kind of yeah. puts everything inside. Um, and yeah, when I opened up the entirety of the sites folder, it kind of creaked a little bit for a second. So I yeah. can imagine that. I think it was like an yeah. XML file or something that I had to open occasionally. And yeah, just cause it was like generated by a server and it was like full of stuff mm-hmm. and yeah, poor, poor old brackets used to, <laughs> used to, yeah, not be too happy about that. Yeah. There's yeah. so many different options actually. It's interesting. You mentioned it cause I've been experimenting with, um, visual studio code. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you used that much? I haven't used it. I've seen it. Um, we, we had a little look at it in the office um, <clears> the other week. Not the other week, but a few months ago. Um, yeah, it looks quite cool. Yeah, it, it is. I, I, I basically, you know like what Ish said a couple of weeks ago where you hear about something for the first time and then you're like, oh yeah, that's that thing. And then you mm-hmm. hear it a second time and you're like, oh, it's that thing again. And then by the fifth time you're like, okay, now I need to check this thing out. Yeah, kind of happened to me with Visual Studio Code. Like, just enough people, not very, you know, like a few days ago or a couple of weeks ago, they just started tweeting about it, and I was like, right, okay, that's it. I'm going to try it. And normally, I use Coda, um, yep. which is from from Panic. And I don't know whether I'm just not getting enough out of it somehow, like whether I'm not using it to its full potential. But I've never found it to be that sort of groundbreaking. Um, it's you know, it's it's a text editor. Um, you know, I paid quite a bit of money for it, and now I'm kind of thinking, why why did I do that? When like yep. things like brackets exist, Visual Studio Code exists. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel in limbo at the minute. I've still got Coder installed. Um, yeah, and it's great. There's nothing wrong with it, but yep. in the face of all these other free things, to the level at which I use such a tool, um, I'm not sure I'm getting the value out of Coder. I mean, I've paid for it now anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um. Yeah, I feel like that box isn't properly ticked for me. Right. Like with, I, with iOS development, it's Xcode or, or nothing really. So you have to use Xcode. Yep. But, but when it comes to just like 
you know generic text editor i feel like i've bounced around a lot between different things and i, I still haven't really found found the right one that's um, funny because um, I've found with with brackets that's kind of solved the problem for this bit of web development, and I, I quite appreciate kind of having a different environment for it. But then there are some things where I'm I'm quite happy to just load Xcode up, even you know, and and it it sort of passes the the syntax on the file to give me the highlighting at least, and and that's good enough. I was going to try maybe PHP Storm, but that's like another uh, paid for one. I don't right. want to start throwing money at the problem because I'm not doing a huge amount of of this kind of thing really at the moment. Um, well, I am I am at the moment purely because I'm sort of doing stuff for the back end of read list. But once that's done, I can't imagine I'll be spending a huge amount of time in that kind of text editor. I'll be mostly in Xcode, but yeah, yeah, I may have to revisit brackets. Now you've mentioned it, <laughs> so see what I think of that. Give it a look. And then, like I say, have a look at um, opening things up in Xcode as well, because sometimes just having the, the highlighting is all I've really wanted. You know, and, and, and Xcode can can pass quite a few different things um, and give you that highlighting. It's mo- mo- The things I look for mostly is just like where it auto-closes your tags in HTML. And there's been a few occasions in Visual Studio Code where it just hasn't. Right. Um, and that kind of bugs me. Uh, just sort of like PHP auto completions, quite nice as well. Um, that's that's handy. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm gonna have to give brackets a try. I think you convinced me. I'm gonna go. I'm going back to brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Decision made. I'll let you know how it goes next week. <laughs> okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes, or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also we have our slack channel we'd love to invite you to join our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out if you'd like to join uh, just leave us a message on twitter at wfr podcast and we'll get you signed up so dave before we run off where can people find you you can find me on twitter at dw roboheads that's robohead spelt with a z and you can find my apps at roboheads.com again that's robohead spelt with a z how about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot. <laughs>